I'm Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with authors from our own region and from around the world. My guest today is horror novelist Mercedes M. Yardley. Her new book is called Darling. It's a Southern Gothic story of a mother fighting to protect her children from the evil that is spreading out from the town they live in. She joins me now from her home in Las Vegas. Mercedes, thank you so much for talking with me today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Your new book is called Darling. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, Darling is a Southern Gothic novel. Um, it's my first Southern Gothic. It's about a woman named uh, Cherry LaRue who comes back to her hometown under duress. She doesn't want to be in her hometown. She has two children. One has uh, special needs and the other is a small toddler. And she comes back to her house because her mother has died and given her this house. And this this town is just seething with paranormal aspects, just kind of small town hatred, just a lot of crazy things happen there. And I believe I read online that you said that this book, you've been working on it for quite a while, for a number of years, right? Yes. I actually finished writing this book, I'd say about seven years ago, and it just never felt quite right. I, I kept tinkering with it and tinkering with it. And uh, it's finally right and ready to go. And I couldn't be prouder. But yes, it's been quite a, quite a while. Can you put your finger on maybe what wasn't right about it and may, and what what was the aha moment when you were like, okay, this is it? it it's it's deeply personal. Um, it's a deeply personal book. It's based on something that had happened in my past a little bit that inspired it. The characters, the children are based on my own children. Um, and so I was afraid to let them go out in a way because... It felt like it was exposing something deeply personal to the world for critique. And also, I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to end it, um, how deep I wanted the paranormal aspect to go, whether I was going to keep that out entirely, that sort of thing. And so the the main villain in the book, which is a person known as the handsome butcher, what I wanted to happen with him, if I wanted a continuation with him in other books. So I... I left it kind of, um, it's a fairly ambiguous ending, I guess, in a way, which a lot of people take issue with, of course, because everybody, you know, wants this very solid ending. Um, but I, I couldn't be happier with it. I think it's exactly where it needed to be. And so when I kind of felt everything slide into place, I'm like, okay, this is it time to move on with a different story. This one's done. One of the things that I really loved about this is that the town is almost its own character. Yes. In the sense of the role I think that it plays. And there's a big question of, is the town spreading the evil to its inhabitants? Or is it just stripping away kind of those surface personas that we all have and showing who the people are underneath? What were you thinking when you were writing that part of it? You know, one of the themes in my work, and I hadn't realized this until someone actually pointed it out to me, I do have towns play characters. I'm very influenced by where I grew up. I grew up in a small desert area. I wrote a book called Pretty Little Dead Girls, where the desert area is the villain. It's its own sentient villain. And I realized that I did that with with Darling. It's its own. You can't put it somewhere else and have it be the same book. Um, and the town is called Darling. So it's named, 
you know, the, the title is darling because you're my darling. It's this woman, her darling children and all these strange relationships, but also named after the town, which is its own seating cesspool of something. And I have a, a book I'm shopping around right now called The Hunger Garden, where it's a very similar thing where the town has something running through it. I just, I love that aspect. I just find that where you grow up or where you are shapes you in a way that you would be a completely different person if you lived in a different environment. So I lived, came from a very small desert town and now I live in Las Vegas, which is a very large, you know, entertainment capital. And the way that the people interact in different areas really informs personalities. So I was trying to hit that. I wanted the, I wanted the house to be its own character and I wanted the um, the town to be its own character because you couldn't put Darlene in a different place and have it read the same way. It would be a completely different situation. A woman taking her kid and going back to, you know, a small town in Illinois that's perfectly healthy would be a very different book than Darlene with the decay of the town and this, this town that's just insidious. You do see this pop up, I think, within the horror genre more than other genres where that sense of place is its own living, breathing character. Do you think that's because we're just all too connected to places, especially when they're a little bit creepy? That's a, that's a great point. Yes, I think so. I think so. And I think that we, as horror authors, we notice the creep factor. You know, we look around and we're like, this is wrong. This is weird. Something's off. You know, you can have like, um, for example, I took my children, we were feeding our neighbor's rabbits who are gone on vacation and we took a different way to their house. And we went down this strange street that I'd never seen before in town. It's right next to where we live, but we'd never gone there. And it was so strange and eerie and felt so displaced that my daughter started recording because the houses were different. The trees were different. The lights were different. And we saw, you know, we saw a person walking a dog and everything looked strange. And I said, I think that dog is made out of origami. That doesn't look like a real dog. And we saw people and they didn't seem like real people. And it was like this, the atmosphere changed and everything felt weighty. And, and after we went and made a couple turns, went down a different street, everything was fine again. It was a normal night. The moon was fine, but in this one area, everything felt off. And I think as horror authors, we're really used to like looking for that or noticing that because, you know, it infuses what we do so much. Place is so important. You mentioned that there's a lot of yourself in Darling. Was that really intentional for you? Not at first. This book kind of became a way for me to work through some, some issues and some trauma that I had experienced. And uh, so I originally went out to just tell a story. And as I got deeper into it, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is uncovering some things that are very deep and, and personal and probably the most personal that I had shared that isn't, you know, nonfiction. And so, no, it, it wasn't intentional, but it, it made it hard to let it go because it just felt like, okay, here's a part of my life that, you know, and, and it's very loosely based, very loosely based, but um, here's a part of my life that I am not used to uncovering. And to like, just hand it to people now, it's like, okay, read this and, you know, see what you think. And I'll, I'll get feedback about what you think. It's, it's very daunting, but, um, I'm so proud of it. It just is very, yeah, it's, it's, it's deeply personal. It's very dark. I, I love Cherry's relationship with her kids. This woman who by all definitions is very broken. She is also so fierce 
in her love and her protectiveness of her kids. Was that for you an important, an important part of who Cherry is at her core? I, I think that's who she is at her core. Yes. She's a, a, an, an unlikable character, I think, for the most part. She's very prickly. She's very quick to anger. She's very quick to lash out to protect her children. And it's all about her children. Everything she does is for her children. You know, she, the, the, the choices she makes, she, uh, sell it works as a sex worker at the beginning of the book in order to provide for her children. And I, I, I love that about her. Um, cause it's an interesting book about kind of intergenerational trauma and to see her relationship with her mother and her relationship with her children. And I think that is exactly who she is. You take her children away and what is she? She's broken. And I love that, um, her son who has a, a disability, my son has Williams syndrome and autism, a dual disability. She loves him no matter what. And it's no, it doesn't matter to her. Society looks at him one way and she does not. And, and he is just as valuable as her able bodied child. You know, I just, I love her fierceness. I think that's where her strength comes is from her children. She wouldn't do anything for herself, but she will, you know, move heaven and earth for her kids. I, I loved the kids, especially Jonah, who is disabled and autistic in the in the story. And he's just such, such a beautiful, complex character. Do you see your own son in that character? I do. I I wrote about my son. I wrote about the things that he does, the, the washers and dryers, the peanut butter toasts, mm. the things that he likes and doesn't like. And I, it was really important to me to have a child in this book with a disability that isn't like an autistic savant. There's usually, you know, there's a person with a disability, but they have to like earn their, their reason for being there in most books. You know, they come out and like Stephen King's, um, you know, uh, Tom Cullen, M-O-O-N is moon and he earns his place. But, but I love that character deeply, but most books that you read that have a, a character with a disability, they're either teaching someone patience or they're learning to empower themselves or they're there. There's a reason for them to be there with a disability. And that kind of drives me crazy because my son and Jonah in the book doesn't have to have a reason to have a disability. My son has a disability. My son is amazing with or without this disability. He's just as valuable whether or not he's disabled. He doesn't have to earn his love by being autistic and an autistic savant and figuring out a murder case or figuring out numbers and and doing all these things, he can just exist and he is just as valuable and worthwhile. And so it was really important to me to portray that in the book that he is there and there's this fierceness and love for him and from him, but he doesn't have to, you know, spin plates and jump through hoops to be worthwhile in this book. He just, he is, he just is worthwhile. And that was really important to me. Do you have a favorite character from this book? I really like Mordecai. Mm, I really yes. like Mordecai. I don't necessarily care for Cherry as much as I would like. And I really like um, Detective Ian Bridger, who was just a small mention in this book. He's um, just one of the detectives that kind of tries to help Cherry, but feels kind of out of his depth. He's just a very small part, but he's a, a main part in my book, um, Pretty Little Dead Girls, where this woman is destined to die. He's a, the main like detective on this these serial killer things. So this is kind of his origin story. I like him and I like who he grows to be. Do you think we'll see him in other books? We, you know, we might, I just, there's something about his purity of soul 
that really intrigues me. And I would really love to follow more of the storyline of the handsome butcher. So maybe they could, mm. you're sparking something here. Maybe they could be, <laughs> be together <laughs> in the future. I, I don't know, but I would love to see him. He just has a way of cutting through all this stuff and maintaining his love and purity. Like in Pretty Little Dead Girls, he comes and shows up at, at the girl's house with like a basket of muffins his wife made him bring. And he's like, just need to make sure she's not dead. Here's some muffins. Is she okay? You know, sort of thing. And I love the humanity that he has, especially since so many of the characters are so dark in Darling. There's so much anger and just jealousy and, and you know, all this, this weaving through everything like this, this grim vein that's going on. And uh, Detective Ian Bridger is somewhat of a light out of his element, out of his depth. This is way over his head, but he's going to learn to grow and be able to stand up to the darkness. I think, especially with anything in the horror genre, whether we're talking about books or, you know, even, even, you know, TV series, films, having that, as you called him, you know, pure soul character, even if it's just a moment, is so important in, in writing something that is so dark, right? Right. You can't just, I mean, this isn't a grim, dark book, you know, this isn't that genre. It's, it's a little bit of that genre, but you need to have some brightness or it will just, it will just suffocate you. You know, there has to be something to, something to keep the dark at bay. And I think that that's what this book is about in a way is this woman trying to keep the darkness from her children, this woman trying to keep the light, trying to paint the house in bright colors, trying to do things to bring joy to this dark despair existence. I think people are like that in real life. You know, if we, if we don't find the joy, if you don't find those joyful, wonderful moments, we cave because life can be just crushing. And, right. and that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to, to be crushed. We're here to find the beauty. We're here to find the, the joy. We're here to find that light in the darkness. We're here to be that light for someone else. So that's why I have to have some characters like that. They're, they're what I live for. They're the, they're the soul of the book. Um, Mordecai is the backbone of the book in a way. I love hearing you talk about having that balance because otherwise it can be too crushing and also knowing that your nickname is Miss Murder. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I pick my kids up from school and the, and their friends call me Miss Murder. They're like, Miss Murder, hi. <laughs> is, there, is there anything that would be too dark to write about even for you? I, well, I'm working on a very dark book right now and... I don't think I could write a graphic rape scene in real time graphically. To me, that would be too dark. Child, um, child abuse, child molestation is is too dark to delve in. I want to delve into it and talk about it because it's important, but I don't think I could write a, a scene without it feeling gratuitous. And I will never write a scene like that. But no. I, I actually asked some of, some of my friends, some of my writer friends, like, this is my story idea. It's pretty dark. What do you think? And they're like, go for it. Do it. Because it needs to be talked about. They're real. The dark things are the real things, you know, and, you know, mm. ghosts and goblins and demons are up, up to someone to believe or, or not, whether or not they're, they're real or infecting something, but a child abuser, uh, someone that's grooming children and youth people that are, you know, horrendously abusive during storms, those are real. 
And so the hard stuff is the real stuff to write about, but I think it's really important to do so so that we can discuss these things. We can talk about these things because I believe a generation ago, we kept quiet about everything. You know, if, if your friend was being abused, you either didn't know about it or you knew about it and your parents knew about it, but there was really nobody to tell. You didn't tell, you just knew that they suffered this and, and you went to school and didn't talk about it. Whereas now we tell people, we know who to call. We can call the police, we can call DCFS. We, we talk about it and so we know what to do. Whereas before we just kept everything silent. And I think it's important to write about these things so that people know that we know that they're going on. And as you unearth them, we can become stronger and more educated and fight them. Is this a trend that you see happening across the horror genre compared to what it was, like you said, maybe a generation ago? I do. I do. I think we're much more compassionate. We're more aware. You see trigger warnings, which never, you know, never didn't exist. You see, you know, if you need help, here's a suicide hotline. If you, you know, in books, in the, the acknowledgements, call here, you can get help here. You know, you can talk about this here. I, we're just so much more open things that we just never discussed. We discuss now. And I talk about it with my kids, you know, bullying, everybody was bullied. <laughs> it's cool. I had a bully that would beat me up and, uh, you know, tear my clothes. And my friend got his arm broken from his bully and you just dealt with it. You didn't tell anybody adults knew what was going on. They just didn't, I don't want to say they didn't care, but you just didn't talk about it. And now there's anti-bullying campaigns, you know, my daughter came home and said, oh, so-and-so was being bullied. So, so-and-so went and told the teacher and the teacher stopped it. That just didn't happen when we were kids. So I love this era of transparency where we're kind of looking out for each other. And, and it's not that we didn't care. It's just, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. I remember telling my mom that my friend was being abused and cause she had asked, and I told her and I asked her, you know, maybe five years ago. So whatever happened with that? She's like, oh, nothing you told me, but who was I supposed to tell? How was I supposed to handle that? And now we know how to do that, you know? At the core of Darlene is the kidnapping and murder of several children, not in a gratuitous way, but you know, that's, that's what's happening. Yes. Was that hard for you to write as a mother? Yes, but also no, because I, I stood so far back from it. Um, and it's, you don't hear their final moments. You don't hear anything like that. You find them. I think I sanitized it for myself in a way because you found them clean. You found them washed, you know, it, it, it is hard. I mean, all of it's hard writing about missing children is hard. Um, but I felt that I stepped back from it enough that I was able to do it. If I would have gone into it in, in more detail than I did, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I, I put that velvet rope around myself. So I was dealing with something so intensely personal. I didn't want to like, just go in there and just massacre myself. I know what I can handle and what I can't. And so I, I made sure that I was in a safe environment with these fictitious children that were being, I don't want to say taken care of, but being taken care of in some way, um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it was hard. I put a wall there to protect me. Mm. It was really interesting in the book. Um, the almost gentleness of these children when they were found. Yes. That 
I, you know, totally ramped up the creep factor, right? Um, Hopefully, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It did for me. Well, children, they're still, you, you wanted them to be, yes, I wanted them to be found gently. I wanted them to be, I mean, in horrible, horrible ways. They're found in horrible ways, but they're found with sort of a, almost a kindness because I wanted to give them that respect, if that makes sense. They're not real children, but they're children. So I wanted them to be, I wanted to be sensitive. I wanted to be as loving as I could as I, you know, killed them off one by one. I don't even know what kind of murder that is, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you find it exciting that more and more women are writing horror and dark fantasy? I do. I do. I, and I think women have always written horror and dark, dark fantasy, but now uh, women are being like actively searched for actively welcomed to the table, as opposed to like having to fight and claw your way to get a seat there. People are being like, oh, you know what? I would like more women to be in this anthology. I would like more women to be involved in this. So it's nice that people are are willingly moving aside so that we can be there. We have such a unique voice. We see things in such a different way. And uh, I wrote an essay once titled like, like how women are wired for horror, right? We, you know, we bleed uh, seven years of our lives. We, you know, having a child inside of you is one of the scariest things ever, like watching it move around, you know, not being able to do the things you would normally do because you have to be careful of this thing that's like weakening your bones and, and, and doing all this. We constantly are feeling like we're, we have to be careful. Um, You know, I remember I would always have like a knife in my boot um, growing up just in case I needed one. And my brother never had a knife in his boot just in case he needed one. He didn't, he felt comfortable walking to his car. He felt comfortable going to work and, and I didn't. So I think we have a really unique look at the world and I'm glad that we're finally being recognized as um, the brilliant voices that we really are. And um, more women are going by their real names and not, you know, uh, a pen name, a man's pen name or initials, you know, quite a few women write from initials because with their initials as their pen name, because men, some men, quite a few men won't read books by women because they just feel that they can't relate. Whereas women will often read books from women and men. Um, And so I just think it's great. I think it's this great Renaissance. What do you think is driving it? I think we're louder. I think again, it's things being opened up the whole me too movement, the whole, listen, I don't get a seat at the table. Um, listen, I don't go to these, like one of my personal rules at cons is I don't go to those like bedroom meetups that people have, um, just, you know, Hey, let's go hang out in my room and drink and talk anthologies. I don't go to those cause I don't feel safe in that position. So I know that I miss out on a lot of networking that goes on and things that go on in these rooms, but I would prefer to be physically and emotionally mentally safe than, than do these things. And when I mentioned that to some of my my men, male friends who were writers, they were like, that never occurred to me. That never occurred to me that, you know, a woman wouldn't feel safe going there. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, there's eight guys and one woman. And you don't think that they'd feel unsafe. So I think we're being more vocal about it. I think people are understanding more. And I think people are more in a more, again, it goes with being, you know, open about all these things, a more receptive mindset. Like, I didn't realize there were no women in this anthology. I didn't realize that, you know, everybody, this publisher is like a white man. You know, I didn't realize that that there wasn't diversity and people are actively seeking it, which 
makes a huge difference. I think it's interesting, you know, the idea that men won't read women who write horror because they, you know, I guess think women are too soft. And then, you know, thinking about this as you're talking about what women do when they go out and how we've just kind of like internalized and made that everyday fear our own. Right. You know, I, I think that's, I think that's interesting. That's an interesting conversation to have, I guess, with the men in your lives. It, it is. I remember telling my husband, well, we were walking down to Seven Eleven, which is like, you know, half a mile away. And I was, he was walking with my son who was there trailing behind us. And I was walking with my two daughters and we were far enough apart, my husband and son and I, that we looked like two separate groups. And so we're walking down to Seven Eleven, and these guys like are driving by and they like cat called us. And then another guy came by and like yelled at my daughters, you know, and all this stuff. And my husband was like, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe that happened. And I'm like, babe, that happens every time we walk down to the store because we're by this main road every time. And he had never seen it because people don't do it when he's with us. Right. So he just, he had no idea. And he'll, he'll say like, I had no idea until you told me this, or I had never thought of that. And, and he is a good guy. He is a very, you know, supports the women in his life, very um, emotionally well-centered. I mean, the best of the best. And he had no idea, you know? And, and so we need to tell these guys that don't see this happening around them. I'm like, well, you know, or, or he said, oh, somebody said this, you know, about this woman. And I'm like, well, then it's your job to say something because if she says something, she's considered hysterical. If you say something, they'll listen to it. And he's like, what? And then he's like, it's true. You're right. You know? So I, I feel by us saying these things, we're just letting, letting our, our guys who are the good men, you know, know what's going on. They, they can be active and they can help because we can't do it ourselves. You can't, you know, if someone's saying something to you, you say something back oh, you're already involved, you know, but if, if someone says, you know, you shouldn't treat her like that, or, which, you know, she should have the same opportunity as somebody else, or I see that you just took what she said and used it as said it was your own idea, but I saw her say that first. If it's, it's sad that a guy calling a guy on something gets more traction than a woman calling a guy, but, it, but it's true. And we need to use them and let them do that until things shift enough that we can say on our own, hey, that was my idea and have people listen to it. It's, it's frustrating uh, to, that I still have to lean on my husband in that way and be like, I have to use you to get what I want because no one will listen to me as a woman. But um, until things shift, I'm going to use everything in my power to make things as equal as I can. And if, and he's happy to do it. He just needs to know. He didn't know. He didn't know what it was like. And I think for him, seeing you know a couple of different cars catcalling and saying lewd things to his wife and tiny daughters... Uh, one was in elementary school at the time, you know, the other was in junior high. Um, that really shook him. That shook him. He didn't realize that's what his girls were going through every day of their lives. He just didn't know. Do you think that writing, especially women in, in your books and your stories is a way of helping teach your daughters to be stronger? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I do. I had a nameless actually the tiptoe shadow was based on a uh a monster my daughter kept seeing and she had nightmares about and and so i wrote about this tiptoe shadow and look we're gonna go work find out about the tiptoe shadow and figure it out and see if we can conquer it i try to use my work 
to let them know that they have a voice, to let them know that we're actively looking at things that are scary to them or daunting. And if you put something in a story, people tend to listen more than if you just say, hey, this this sucks, you know, <laughs> this monster isn't real, or these people are monsters, or this is what's happening. And people get uncomfortable and kind of back away. But if you put it in a book, if you put it in a story, it's more palatable. And it's something that they can and see and think about and it gets in their mind and it's easier to talk about. So absolutely, definitely. I use it to make them stronger. I hope, I hope to make them stronger. I think they're very, they're very strong girls. So I think it's working. Mercedes, thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Darling by Mercedes M. Yardley is available now. You can find out more about her other stories by visiting her website, mercedesmyardley.com. Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Siracus. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page. <laughs>